morning. It's Monday, April the 27th at 621 in the a.m. right now. I'm not sure what time it is right now for you, but I hope whatever time it is, you're having a great morning. Got a big old show lined up for you, so let's just get right into it, shall we? It's time for the weather. mile-wide tornado touched down in north-central Texas as a storm system swept through with large hail and damaging winds, prompting tens of thousands of people to say, what the hell is that? And shoot at it. The storm knocked out power to more than 30,000 people in Texas, according to online reports compiled from local power companies. Austin Energy reported the most affected with 7,600 without power. Yeah, and I would be remiss if I didn't mention the deadly earthquake in Nepal. Death toll in South Asia rose to over 3,200 people Monday, two days after a massive 7.8 magnitude earthquake rocked Nepal. Tens of thousands of Nepalese weathered terrifying aftershocks, slept in the streets, and hunkered down as teams worked to dig out survivors. But you can help. Here are some websites accepting donations. We have the IFRC.org, UNICEFUSA.org, AmeriCares.org. OxfamAmerica.org, Handicap-International.us, SaveTheChildren.org, Care.org, Donate.WorldVision.org, and SamaritansPurse.org. Quick look at the national map. We got 52 in Sunshine and Seattle, 41 in Sun in Boise. San Francisco, California is sunny at 54. Los Angeles, California, 60 degrees and sunny. Billings, partly cloudy, 35. Rain and a mix of snow in 38 in Denver, 45 in clouds in Albuquerque, 66 in Dallas with thunderstorms, San Antonio, Texas, 64 in sunshine, Nolan, 75 thunderstorms in Miami, Florida, 78 thunderstorms, up to the Midwest, 38 in sunshine in Chicago, Minneapolis, 42 in clear, St. Louis, partly cloudy, 43, 49 and partly cloudy in New York City, and 48 degrees and partly cloudy. In Washington, D.C. Let's turn our attention to the front lines. News. Lines and things. It's time for the news. What does it all mean? News. Lines around the world. It's time for the news. I'm waking up with Sandy. News. Ruth Ginsburg, the 82-year-old leader of the Supreme Court's minority liberal wing, has cast aside her usual restraint in the past months and left little doubt where she stands on the upcoming gay marriage case. In February, Ginsburg told Bloomberg that, quote, it would not take a large adjustment, end quote, for Americans to accept nationwide marriage equality given the enormous change in people's attitudes about same-sex marriage. New York Times columnist Gail Collins wrote in January that Ginsburg has, quote, a strong hunch end quote, about the way the case will turn out. Again, a robbery saved nine Greek climbers from the Nepal quake. Nine Greek climbers who were robbed by a Sherpa guide in Kathmandu told Sunday of their lucky escape after heading home from Nepal the day before an earthquake triggered the deadliest disaster in Mount Everest's history. Quote, we arrived in Kathmandu last week and there we discovered that our Sherpa had disappeared with the money we had given him. We reported the incident to the Nepali authorities and then decided to return to Greece on Friday the eve of the earthquake. In the end, we were lucky. But we have friends at the Everest camps who are living through very difficult moments, he added. The group was comprised of nine Greeks and nine Indians, all of whom got out safely. The stock market. The Dow.
largest manufacturers of the machinery used to produce semiconductors, applied materials of the United States and Tokyo Electron of Japan, on Monday dropped plans to merge after the Department of Justice said that combining their business would restrict competition. The proposed $10 billion deal was announced in September of 2013, but the companies had struggled to come up with a plan the American antitrust authorities would approve. It would have combined two of the three largest players in a sector crucial to the production of modern electronic devices from smartphones to televisions. Sometimes we mess up the facts, but we own it on corrections. Waking up with Danny. Sometimes I'm waking up with Danny, we get it wrong. And when we do, we say so. Last week, I made a Facebook post about the show where I referenced the year being 2014. Well, it's not 2014 at all. It's 2015. I was wrong. And I owned it. Today in history, a lot of things have happened. Maybe a man flew to the moon. Maybe a baby was saved by a baboon. It's April 27, 2015. Today is Babe Ruth Day. Today is also Mantanza's Mule Day. No idea what that is. Today is Morse Code Day, National Prime Rib Day. And today is National Tell-A-Story Day. We'll be getting to that one a little later on. Well, you know, in this day, in 1994, President Nixon was buried in Lincoln Library in California. In 1984, over 70 inches of snow falls on the Red Lake in Montana. In 1960, the first atomic-powered electric drive submarine launched in Tullaby. In 1937, the U.S. Social Security System made its first benefit payment, and in 1861, West Virginia secedes from Virginia after Virginia secedes from the U.S. Births and deaths. People were born and died today. We're going to talk about it. Waking up with Danny. Talking about life and death. Today's birthdays, Sheena Easton was born. Jack Klugman was born in 1922. I'm sorry, Sheena Easton was born in 1959. In 1822, Ulysses S. Grant was born. And in 1822, the same year, Frederick Law Olmsted was also born. In 1820, Herbert Spencer also made himself part of this world. But people also died. In 2002, Ruth Handler, an inventor... Invented the Barbie doll, died at 85. Mstislav Rostopovich, a cellist and conductor, he commissioned new works and enlarged the cello repertoire more than any cellist considered the greatest cellist of the 20th century, died of intestinal cancer. 
That was in 2007. Paul Lambert, an actor of the Tom Executive Suite, died at 73. And in 1996, William Colby, an American public servant, died. 1977, Stanley Adams, an actor, Lilies in the Field and Tornado Alley. He died at 61. And in 1950, Carl Straub, a German organist and conductor, died. And in 1893, John Murray Corse, a U.S. General of the Union, dies on his 58th birthday. Ralph Waldo Emerson died. He was a U.S. poet in 1882. And in 1758, Jan Francisci, a composer, died at 66. In 1076, Willem, the Bishop of Utrecht, from 1054 to 76, was the murderer of Floris I, died. And in 1124, Alexander I, the King of Scotland, from 1107 to 1124, also died. In Italy, for 30 years under the bourgeois, they had welfare, terror, murder, and bloodshed, but they produced Michelangelo, Leonardo da Vinci, and the Renaissance. In Switzerland, they had brotherly love. They had 500 years of democracy and peace. And what did they produce? The cuckoo clock. Harry Lyme from Orson Welles, the third man. And the word of the day is os. O-S. It's a noun meaning a mouth or an orifice or a bone. Woo! Etymology, for one, from Latin os, which means mouth, earliest documented use was 1859, and for two, from the Latin os, bone, the earliest documented use was the 1400s. It also appears in an abbreviation of many fields, including chemistry, os, the symbol for the element osmium, computing, os, operating system, medicine, os, the left eye, from the Latin oculus sinister, and in linguistics, OS from Old Saxon. Some usage. Even today, accent suppressants for bands are not uncommon. Robbie Williams doesn't narrow his os. Aqualung's Matt Hill doesn't turn his fall into fool. And while the Rolling Stones can't get no satisfaction, they daren't sing it as their native can't. Judy Jarvis from the Arctic Monkeys, neo-punk exuberance with an accent from the Intelligencer Journal, Lancaster, Pennsylvania, February 9th, 2006. Naturally, the students couldn't resist testing the teacher's knowledge. You'd better slow down, they would tell some unsuspecting pedagogue, or you might fall and break your os. D.L. Stanley, I hope this doesn't effectuate your dungeon, from the Atlanta Enquirer in Georgia, November 16th. 1996. And a bonus thought for the day. There is a principle which a bar against all information, which is proof against all arguments, and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. That principle is contempt prior to investigation. That quote was from Herbert Spencer, a philosopher. He lived from April 27th, 1820 to 1903. 19-aught. Or aught and you know you gotta learn something today Make your life better The more you know, the more you know You'll make your life better And you know you gotta learn something today You make your life better The more you know, you'll make it back.
often use the words herb and spice interchangeably. Herbs and spices are obtained from plants. Salt is neither a spice nor an herb. It is actually a mineral. Herbs and spices are used primarily for adding flavor and aroma to food, and both are best used fresh but can be saved by drying. While there are similarities, there are often subtle differences between herbs and spices. Herbs are obtained from the leaves of herbaceous, non-woody plants. They are used for savory purposes in cooking, and some have medicinal value. Herbs often are used in larger amounts than spices. Herbs originated from temperate climates such as Italy, France, and England. An herb is also a word used to define any herbaceous plant that dies down at the end of the growing season and may not refer to its culinary value at all. Spices, on the other hand, are obtained from roots, flowers, fruits, seeds, or bark. Spices are native to warm tropical climates and can be woody or herbaceous plants. Spices often are more potent and stronger flavored than herbs. As a result, they are typically used in smaller amounts. Some spices are used not only to add taste, but also as a preservative. Some plants are both herbs and spices. The leaves of Coriandrum sativum are the source of cilantro, while coriander is from the plant's seeds. Dill is another example. The seeds are a spice, while dill weed is an herb derived from the plant's stems and leaves. Every day is born a new hero. daughter of a landowner and general, a young and pretty girl, dreaming day and night of being married, was sitting in her room, gazing with exhausted, half-closed eye into the looking glass. She was pale, tense, and as motionless as the looking glass. The non-existent but apparent vista of a long, narrow corridor with endless rows of candles, the reflection of her face, her hands of the frame. All this was already clouded in mist and merged into a boundless gray sea. 
The sea was undulating, gleaming, and now and then, flaring crimson. Looking at Nellie's motionless eyes and parted lips, one could hardly say whether she was asleep or awake, but nevertheless, she was seeing. At first she saw only the smile and soft, charming expression of someone's eyes. Then against the shifting gray background there gradually appeared the outlines of a head, a face, eyebrows, beard. It was he, the destined one, the object of long dreams and hopes. The destined one was for Nellie everything, the significance of life, personal happiness, career, fate. Outside him, as on the gray background of the looking glass, was all was dark, empty, and meaningless. And so it was not strange that, seeing before her a handsome, gently smiling face, she was conscious of bliss, of an unutterably sweet dream that could not be expressed in speech or on paper. Then she heard his voice, saw herself living under the same roof with him, her life merged into his. Months and years flew by against the gray background, and Nellie saw her future distinctly in all its details. Picture followed picture against the gray background. Now Nellie saw herself one winter night knocking at the door of Stepan Lukich, the district doctor. The old dog hoarsely and lazily barked behind the gate. The doctor's windows were in darkness. All was silence. For God's sake, whispered Nellie. But at last the garden gate creaked and Nellie saw the doctor's cook. Is the doctor at home? His honor's asleep whispered the cook into her sleeve, as though afraid of waking her master. He's only just gone home from his fever patients and gave orders he was not to be waked. But Nellie scarcely heard the cook. Thrusting her aside, she rushed headlong into the doctor's house, running through some dark and stuffy rooms. Upsetting two or three chairs, she at last reached the doctor's bedroom. Stepan Lukic was lying on his bed, dressed, but without his coat, and with pouting lips, was breathing into his open hand. A little nightlight glimmered faintly beside him. Without uttering a word, Nellie sat down and began to cry. She wept bitterly, shaking all over. My husband's ill, she sobbed out. Stepan Lukic was silent. He slowly sat up, propped his head on his hand, and looked at his visitor with fixed, sleepy eyes. My husband's ill! Nellie continued, restraining her sobs. For mercy's sake, come quickly. Make haste. Make haste. Eh, growled the doctor, blowing into his hand. Come, come this very minute, or it's terrible to think. For mercy's sake. And pale, exhausted Nellie, grasping and swallowing her tears, began describing to the doctor her husband's illness, her unutterable terror. Her sufferings would have touched the heart of a stone, but the doctor looked at her, blew into his open hand and not a movement I'll come tomorrow he muttered that's impossible cried Nellie I know my husband has typhus at once this very minute you are needed I er have only just come in muttered the doctor for the last three days I've been away seeing typhus patients and I'm exhausted and ill myself I simply can't absolutely I've caught it myself there and the doctor thrust before her eyes a clinical thermometer. My temperature is nearly 40. I absolutely can't. I can't scarcely sit up. Excuse me. I'll lie down. The doctor lay down. But I implore you, doctor, Nellie moaned in despair. I beseech you. 
Help me, for mercy's sake. Make a great effort and come. I will repay you, doctor. Oh dear. Why have I told you this already? Ah! Nellie leapt up and walked nervously up and down the bedroom. She longed to explain to the doctor to bring him to reason. She thought if only he knew how dear her husband was to her and how unhappy she was, he would forget his exhaustion and his illness. But how could she be eloquent enough? Go to the Zemstvo, doctor, she heard Stepan Lukic's voice. That's impossible. He lives more than 20 miles from here, and time is precious, and the horses can't stand it. It is 30 miles from us to you, and as much from here to the Zemstvo, doctor. No, it's impossible. Come along, Stepan Lukic. I ask you an heroic deed. Come perform that heroic deed. Have pity on us. It's beyond everything. I'm in a fever. My head's in a whirl. And she won't understand. Leave me alone. But you are in duty and bound to come. You cannot refuse. It's egoism. A man is bound to sacrifice his life for his neighbor. And you, you refuse to come. I will summon you before the court. Nellie felt that she was uh, uttering a false and undeserved insult for her husband's sake. She was capable of forgetting logic, tact, sympathy for others. In reply to her threats, the doctor greedily gulped a glass of cold water. Nellie fell to entreating and imploring like a very lowest beggar. At last, the doctor gave way. He slowly got up, puffing and panting, looking for his coat. Here it is, cried Nellie, helping him. Let me put it on for you. Come along. I will repay you. All my life, I shall be grateful to you. But what agony! After putting on his coat, the doctor lay down again. Nellie got him up and dragged him to the hall. Then there was an agonizing to-do over his galoshes, his overcoat. His cap was lost, but at last Nellie was in the carriage with the doctor. Now they had only to drive 30 miles and her husband would have doctor's help. The earth was wrapped in darkness. One could not see one's hand before one's face. A cold winter wind was blowing. There were unfrozen lumps under their wheels. The coachman was continually stopping and wondering which road to take. Nellie and the doctor sat silently all the way. It was fearfully jolting, but they felt neither the cold nor the jolts. Get on! Get on! Nellie implored the driver. At five in the morning, the exhausted horses drove into the yard. Nellie saw the familiar gates, the well with the crane, the long row of stables and barns. At last, she was home. Wait a moment. I will be back directly, she said to Stepan Lugic, making him sit down on the sofa in the dining room. Sit and wait a little while. I'll see how he is going on. On her return from the husband, Nellie found the doctor lying down. He was lying on the sofa and muttering, Doctor, please, doctor. Eh? Ask Domna, muttered Stepan Lukic. What? They said at the meeting, Vlasov said, Who? What? And to her horror, Nellie saw the doctor was as delirious as her husband. What was to be done? I must go to the Zemstvo doctor, she decided. Then again, there followed darkness, cutting cold wind, lumps of frozen earth. She was suffering in body and in soul, and delusive nature has no arts, no deception to compensate these sufferings. Then she saw against the gray background how her husband every spring was in straits for money to pay for the interest of the mortgage to the bank. He could not sleep. She could not sleep and both racked their brains till their heads ached, thinking how to avoid being visited by the clerk of the court. 
She saw her children, the everlasting apprehension of colds, scarlet fever, diphtheria, bad marks at school, separation. Out of brood of five or six, one was sure to die. The gray background was not untouched by death. That might well be. A husband and wife cannot die simultaneously. Whatever happened, one must bury the other. And Nellie saw her husband dying. This terrible event presented itself to her in every detail. She saw the coffin, the candles, the deacon, even the footmarks in the hall made by the undertaker. Why is it? What is it for? She asked, looking blankly at her husband's face. And all the previous life with her husband seemed to her a stupid prelude to this. Something fell from Nellie's hand and knocked on the floor. She started, jumped up, and opened her eyes wide. One looking glass she saw lying at her feet. The other was standing as before on the table. She looked into the looking glass and saw a pale, tear-stained face. There was no gray background now. I must have fallen asleep, she thought with a sigh of relief. That was The Looking Glass by Anton Chekhov. Yeah, and that's going to do it for this episode of Waking Up with Danny. Join me next week for another episode of Waking. <laughs>